Christmas. It's Christmas. Christmas. I love Christmas. Oh, it's so fun. It's like, hey, hey, do you know the Christmas story? Yeah, I think I know the Christmas oh, story. Oh, I know the Christmas story. Oh, it's one of my favourites. Yeah. Like, this guy, he gets swallowed by a giant fish. Oh, and then the fish, like, bleh, pukes him up on the sand. Bleh, it's really horrible. Like, oh, it's so exciting. I think you've got the wrong story there, Dad. That's I'm... Jonah. That's not what we're talking about. Jonah? Yeah, Jonah and the giant whale. Yeah. Oh, it's not Jonah. It's not Jonah. Oh, okay. Well, what is it then? Well, do you want me to start from the start? Yeah. So, God promised Adam and Eve way back that he was going to send a saviour because they sinned, right? Oh, you know that's that? a long way back. Yeah. It is a long way back. Can we skip forward to Christmas? Of course we can. Sure. So, hundreds and hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, yeah. we get to Mary. And she's living a good life. She's a loyal, faithful servant of God. And so one day, Gabriel comes to her. <laughs> and Gabriel... Who's Gabriel? Gabriel is one of God's angels. An angel? Yeah, an angel. So he's God's messenger. Oh, I know what happened. I know what happened. Like, like uh, Mary starts wrestling him. He's like wrestling the angel and says, like, you can't go and I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Like, is, is, that, is, that, no. is that not right? No. Okay, what happened? So Gabriel comes and he tells, well, first of all, Mary's a bit scared because she's like, there is an angel here. Why is there an angel here? Yeah, she would be very scared. That would be pretty scary. And the angel's like, do not be afraid. I come bearing good news. That's right. And good news is, like, the angel unlocks, like, it unlocks the door and all her chains fall off and he leads her out of prison. Is it that one? She's not in prison. Oh. Okay, what happened? So the angel tells her, God has chosen you. You are going to have his son. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. That'd be pretty big. Yeah. And she's like, me? And he's like, yes, you. Whew. A lot of pressure. Anyway, so she agrees. Was she married? She wasn't married, but she was engaged. Oh, so I... she's going to be married to a man named oh. Joseph. Cool. And so, of course, Mary's a bit like, but hey, I am engaged. Yeah. Like, I'm not married. Yeah. So we can't just say, yeah, it's my husband's child. Because, you know, back then, you get pregnant before you get married. It's, it's a big moment. Yeah, no good. So she's a little bit worried about that. But cool. God's like, don't worry. I'll go tell your husband. Alright. Your fiance. Oh, who was that? Joseph. Joseph! Oh! I know, I know, I know! Joseph! And he had a coat and a coat and it was lots of colours, wasn't it? It was like a really, really good coat and he had dreams and everything and it was his dad's face. Different. Different Joseph. Different. Okay, cool. So this Joseph, he has a dream and Gabriel comes to him in the dream. And he's like, hey, you know your fiance, Mary? Mm-hmm. She's gonna have God's son. Oh, wow. Yeah, big news. That'd be a bit of a shock for him, too. And Joe was like, oh, hey, high five! <laughs> like, I'm so happy. Yeah, he was pretty happy. He was he was gonna break up with Mary, but then Gabriel convinced him not to do that. Cool. So he was very supportive. Yeah, angels are good like that. Yeah. Okay, what's next? Well, Mary gets pregnant, and then. You know what happens? No, I don't. They have this big census thing, which means... A census! I know what a census is because, like, my sister got one. It's like a candle and it smells like of strawberries. They count all the population. Oh! The king wants to know how many people that he's ruling. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So they have to travel to Bethlehem. Yeah, so they take the train because that's probably the most cost-efficient way of travelling. It would be, except train fun and then. 
Oh, cool. Then let's take a donkey. Uber? Donkey. Uber donkey? Well, they just, they just grab the donkey. Let's call it Uber donkey. Okay, we can call it Uber donkey. Cool, I like that. <laughs> so they grab the Uber donkey and they... I know what happens then! Okay. The donkey turns around and talks to them, doesn't it? And says, why are you hitting me? Is it that story? That's a different story. Different story, okay. Keep going, Uber donkey. So the Uber donkey takes them to Bethlehem. Oh, I know what happens. They get to Bethlehem and everyone's cheering and they're like putting branches on the road and they're like throwing stuff and they're going, woohoo, they're all here, you're here. Is it that one? That's Palm Sunday. That's when Jesus is alive oh. and old. I thought this was about this. It is, but when Jesus is born. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, yeah. Uber donkey. Okay. Uber donkey, yeah. So they take the Uber donkey to Bethlehem mm-hmm. and they get to Bethlehem and there's no room. All the inns are full because everyone has to go back home as well. At the inn, yeah, so they get to an inn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, so I know what happens now. Okay. Like, they say that there's no more wine. Okay? So then they go get some water and it's wine and everyone's happy and has a party at the inn. Yeah. Different. That's it, isn't it? That's a different story again. Oh, okay. You're getting a little bit mixed up. That's okay. okay. Cool. There's okay. lots of stories in the Bible. Cool. So. They get, finally get to one of the innkeepers and he's like, all right, I don't have any room in my house, mm-hmm. but I've got a stable out the back. A so stable? Can, yeah, so you can stay there if you want. Like with all the other animals? With all the other animals. What other animals were there? Well, there were probably horses. Horses. And cows. And cows. And sheep, maybe. And sheep, maybe. Maybe sheep? Maybe sheep. Maybe well, sheep. we don't know exactly what Did they have pigs? Probably. No, they didn't because they were Jewish. See, I well, know that <laughs> part of the story. Did they have lions? No. Okay. Cool. Yes, what else happened? Hey, did the donkey get to stay there? Probably. Oh, cool. You'd want the donkey. I like the Uber donkey. The Uber donkey, yes. <laughs> so they stay at the stable because it's better than having nowhere to stay. Yeah. And so Mary has the baby there. Oh, cool. So where did they put the baby? Well, they made sure the stable was clean. Yeah. And they made sure the animals weren't going to steal the hay. Yeah. And they put the baby in the hay. In the hay. They wrapped him in cloth. So like chucked him on a bale hay. Well, it was... That's a bit rough. It was in... No, it was a, like a manger, like a food trough. Oh, food trough. So all the animals would eat out of the manger. Oh, I see. And then God was like, I want people to know that I've had my son. Yeah, fair enough. And you'd think that he'd tell the whole world, right? Yeah, well, he would announcement in the paper, I'd say. Well, he did have a big party of angels. Oh, yeah. But... Knew he would. Yeah, but they went to the shepherds. Shepherds? Shepherds. Shepherds. Where yeah. were the shepherds then? Well, they were out tending to their flock. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I do know this one because okay. there's a song about it. Okay, and it talks about the shepherds that are washing their socks at night, weren't they? Uh, they were. The shepherds wouldn't have been washing their socks. I know the song. What's the song? Can you sing it for me? No. <laughs> well, I think they were tending to their sheep. Okay. And they had a fire maybe to keep warm. Okay. Because it's a cold night. Yeah. Remember Gabriel? So he comes down and he's like, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I come bearing good news. Good news. And the shepherds all went, ah, and ran away. Well, they were a bit scared. I bet they were. But the shepherds weren't afraid after the angel had told them not to be. Okay. So they were a bit scared at the start, cool. but they got not scared. They and got they excited. Like because, a big angel party. Yeah, well, the angel told them that there was really good news. For all the world. Cool. So they got really excited. Really excited. Anyway, so 
they go, we got to go to Bethlehem and yeah. see this child. Yeah. Right? Like, you would do that. So they went and checked it out. Yeah. And they were like, whoa, is, whoa. This, is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah we were told about? Mary and Joseph were like, yeah, this is our baby. That's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. And then what happened? Well, God put a big star in the sky over their manger just to say to anyone watching yeah. there was something really important happening oh, right now. Wow. And so then there was this wise man Why and wise they, oh, king. I know what happens next. Okay. There's this wise man and they wanted to cut the baby in half, didn't they? Yeah, I know this story because a really wise guy and he wanted to cut the baby in half because he was like arguing. No. Not that story. Oh, I see. So. Different wise man. Yeah, different wise man. So they came and they saw the star and they were like, hang on, that star means something's important happened. That's right. So they were like, we've got to follow that star and they got their best gifts. Do you know what their gifts were? Well, they got gifts for a king. Gifts for a king. They brought gold, frankincense, gold, and Frankenstein. Frankincense. Frankenstein. Frankincense. 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 Yeah. Okay. And myrrh. And myrrh. So they got their gifts and they yeah. hopped on their camels yeah. and they rode and they rode for years. So they came when Jesus was like a little baby with a toddler and they gave their gifts wow. and they prayed, they got on their knees and they praised the newborn king. Wow, that's incredible! And that's like the Christmas story. And that's the Christmas story. Wow, that is amazing! See, I told you I knew it. Yeah. Yeah, just like I said. Yeah. And you sure there's no Jonah? No Jonah. No Jonah. Okay. Well, maybe the innkeeper's name is Jonah. Hey, let's go with that. I like it. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Claire. Oh, good. Hey, have a Merry Christmas. You too. Okay. See ya. See ya. Oh, fantastic. We have a great kids' ministry, uh, and that is a fantastic story. A few interesting details in there. I mean, there's lots of commentary I could make about that video, but we're going to hone in on one little part of that story this morning about the Frankenstein gift, that uh, frankincense uh, gift, that was on purpose, um, gift that the wise men gave to baby Jesus. So last week, if you were here, um, we looked at the gift of gold, and this morning we're looking at the gift of frankincense, and then tomorrow, if you want to come two days in a row to church. I know that's a bit crazy, and some of you are thinking, I'm not doing that, Brad. Um, But I encourage you to come back, because tomorrow we'll be looking at myrrh, um, and we're going to look at these three gifts, and what they mean, and what they represent about Jesus. Uh, And so, let's read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says this, When they saw the star, when the wise men saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And entering the house, they saw the child... With Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for this Christmas season, and for for the joy it brings, and for the way it brings people together. And God, we pray that this morning, that we might uh, be able to hear your voice clearly amongst the chaos Um, of today and tomorrow and the week to come, God, we pray that in this moment we might be present with you, that you might speak to us from your word, you might reveal your truth to us and change something in our hearts. We love you and we honour you this morning, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Don't know if you've ever been into essential oils. Controversial topic, I know. Essential oils. I was thinking about essential oils because when I started looking at frankincense, obviously it's an oil, uh, and you can buy essential oils, frankincense, and it got me wondering about the name essential oils. Like, is it really essential? Is that a, is that a liberal use of that word, essential? Um, and then that got me down thinking about what other words we use that maybe aren't what we actually mean. Like, I think at the moment, a lot of people use the word literally incorrectly. Have you noticed this? Um, you know, like this, people might say tomorrow, this food that I've prepared will literally blow your mind. And you think, oh, I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't. <clears throat> well, the shops maybe were so busy yesterday that there was literally a million people there. Um, I don't know if you've heard people talk like this, but I'm thinking, is it really? And, and even now, the Oxford Dictionary has changed the definition of the word literally to mean figuratively as well, which is sort of the antonym. Is that the right word? Yeah. See, I could teach you English. Um, so now it's got two meanings which mean the opposite thing. And anyway, I was just, essential oils, I was thinking, where, whatever you think of them, whether they're essential or not, frankincense is a good one. Frankincense is a good one. Um, and in case you want, I'm not having a go at, at oils. We've got oils at home and they're great. Don't have frankincense, because frankincense is actually a pretty expensive oil. If you, I was going to go get some and I asked my wife, oh, maybe we should get some frankincense and then I could bring it up here and we could smell it and flick it around or something. She said, do you know how much it is? It's like 100 bucks for a 15 mil bottle of pure frankincense oil. Uh, it's extremely valuable. It's good stuff. It's useful uh, for... Some studies have said that it's useful for reducing arthritis, helping out gut health, improving asthma, not making your asthma more asthma, but reducing it, reducing asthma, I should say, uh, helps with your oral health, oral health and has cancer-killing properties. But in the Bible times, frankincense was primarily used as a fragrance, primarily used as a fragrance. And, and in fact, um, it was part of the fragrance we're going to read in a moment in, from Exodus that was burned at the altar before the Holy of Holies. And so when the wise men came, when these astronomers came, uh, they probably weren't kings. They were more likely astronomers because they saw the star in the sky and followed the star. And there wasn't necessarily three of them. Uh, there was just a group of them, maybe two or more, uh, and they brought these three gifts. Uh, when they gave the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and when the readers read these gifts, they would have this imagery of like, this is what it means. This is symbolic. This is meaningful gifts. Uh, they were both practical gifts in the sense that these were the gifts that uh, these wise men would have had access to. They would have been a uh, common place to give gifts to a new king. That was what was done. And so these wise men would have um, come and give gifts to a new king, regardless of if it was a Messiah or not. It doesn't say that these guys were particularly uh, Christian or Jewish or followers of Yahweh, but... Uh, they came and gave gifts nonetheless. And this gift of frankincense was of great worth, burned in front of the Ark of the, tab um, the, Ark of the Covenant by the tabernacle, uh, by the priest in the Old Testament. And so it was treated as extremely holy. Let's read in Exodus 30 what it says about this. Uh, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather fragrant spices, resin droplets, mollusk shell, and 
galbanan and mix these fragrant spices with pure frankincense, weighed out in equal amounts. Using the usual techniques of the incense maker, the blend the spices together and sprinkle them with salt to produce a pure and holy incense. Grind some of the mixture into very fine powder and put it in front of the Ark of the Covenant, where I will meet with you in the tabernacle. You must treat this incense as most holy. Never use this formula to make it, this incense for yourselves. It is reserved for the Lord, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who makes incense like this for personal use will be cut off from the community. So this frankincense, this mixture, this fragrance was set apart, holy unto the Lord. And the priest uh, would go into the tabernacle and burn this fragrance, burn this incense to... uh, and it would be holy to the Lord. And, and we'll look and we'll think about in a moment what the priest wore. But one of the things that the priest would wore was uh, an engraved plaque across the head that said, Holy to the Lord. And this whole deal of burning the frankincense and the priest coming in was to symbolize the holiness of God before he went into the holy of holies. And so the frankincense is representative of the priestly nature of who Jesus was going to be. The gold represented the kingly nature, that Jesus comes as our king to rule with authority. Frankincense represents that Jesus comes as our priest to stand in the gap. And you'll have to come tomorrow if you want to find out what myrrh means. I'm not going to give it away. That's the way I'll get you back. So let's think about this idea of priest. Um, if I, as soon as I say the word priest... Some of you are thinking, Brad, you're a priest. I get called priest a lot um, by people who don't come to church. Um, I remember when I used to play golf a fair bit, I would introduce myself and say, I work at the church. Oh, so you're like a priest. It's like, oh, sort of. You can call me that if you like. But for some of us, uh, the word priest has different images that we think of. And for some of us, it might be a negative image. For some of us, we might think of priests in the movies, uh, someone that maybe works in an Anglican or Catholic um, situation where they've got the, the robes and the, the hat and, the, and all the get-up. But I want you to just put all that to one side and just to think about what the Bible says about a priest. A priest is someone who stands in the gap. I want you to think about it that way. A priest is someone who stands in the gap. That is God's representative to people and people's advocate to God. So it has this two-way sort of role that he would go into the Holy of Holies and hear from God and be God's representative to the people. And at the same time, would offer a sacrifice and be people's advocate before God to ask him for forgiveness of sins. And throughout the Old Testament, the priest would minister before God on behalf of the people. And the priest would offer literally his own life Uh, to go into the Holy of Holies because if he did not do the sacrifices correctly, if if there was any blemish, uh, then they would tie a rope around his waist and so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, if he was to fall down dead in the presence of God, they'd be able to drag him back out. And so there was this sense that I'm going to offer my life on behalf of these people. And the priest would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people to bring about righteousness, right standing, for the people that he was representing. 
And so Jesus is our priest. He is both our representative and our advocate. And this baby that the wise men were coming to worship is not just a king, but he's also a priest. When the priest would come and offer sacrifices uh, on, the, on the altar, there would be the, the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle. And this was right in the center of the, of the temple. And the, the Holy of Holies was separated by this thick curtain. And it would stop people entering into the presence of God. Why? Because God was, and still is, holy. And nothing that isn't holy can stand in the presence of God. Holiness is to do with this idea of purity or being set apart. That God can't be in the presence of sin. His holiness is too great. And I think for some of us, our, uh, our understanding of God's holiness is not as, uh, as good or as deep as it could be. And so sometimes we have a casual approach to sin because we don't have a right understanding of the holiness of God. Sin must be dealt with. There must be a punishment for it. And this was the sacrifice that the priest offered on the altar. And then he would go into the curtain. So what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, Jesus is our priest, and by um, both offering the sacrifice and fulfilling the sacrifice so that the justice of God is met, sin is dealt with because the sacrifice was without blemish. Jesus was perfect. He grew up without sin without blemish. And so when he was offered, when he died on the cross, you'll remember, if you know the Bible story, that the curtain was torn in two. And this is the curtain to the Holy of Holies, that no longer was there a barrier between people and the holiness of the presence of God, because Jesus once and for all opened up a way for us to have interaction with God. So the priest is no longer required. You no longer have to access God through a person, through a priest, but rather, you can access God directly because Jesus has taken the sins of your life and dealt with them once and for all. The holiness of God is, um, is saving because Jesus was perfectly holy, offered as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He doesn't just get you into the Holy of Holies, but he keeps you in. The curtain is torn because it's not like a temporary sacrifice of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the priest would come day after day, week after week to offer sacrifices and the curtain would stay. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn to represent this is once and for all. This is once and for all. This is a complete one. Hebrews 7 says this. This is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do first for their own sins and then for the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son, Jesus, who has been perfected forever. And so Jesus represents this sacrifice, this high priest who stands in the gap once and for all. You don't have to come to Jesus time and again, time and again, saying, oh, I've messed up and, and hope that he will forgive your sins. No, your sins are forgiven and you need to trust in the sacrifice, trust in what Jesus has done. The other thing that would happen, or the other thing that uh, a priest would do was wear certain garments. There's a whole list, you can read it all in, I think it's Exodus 38 perhaps, uh, of the, all the fine linen and the gold and the, um, 
all the things that he had to wear in a certain way, elaborate and detailed, and they had to be worn because they would represent the beauty and the glory of God. And still today, across different denominations and different churches, robes are used to demonstrate this holiness, this beauty, this honor of meeting with God. They invoke a certain awe and respect. If I were to get up here this morning and I had been wearing robes, like priestly robes, some of you would have been just distracted the whole time I was talking, like, what is going on here? Why is he wearing that? And then if I was to step down off the stage and say, hey, do you want to wear these robes? For most of us, we'd be like, I'm not, I'm not good enough to wear them. Like, I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not that kind of person. If you were to go to a Catholic church or an Anglican church or somewhere where the, the priest would wear the robes and if he would get down after his message and say, here, you wear them. For most of us, we would be like hesitant to put them on because we would feel like I'm unqualified. But this is the picture I want you to think of. This is what Jesus does for you. This is what Jesus does for you. He takes the robes of the priest and he puts them onto you. You know, in Luke chapter 15, there's a story of a prodigal son who goes and spends his father's inheritance before his father has died. It's been um, wild living and sin and, and just living for himself, being his own king, ruling his own life. And then at one point in his life, in, 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 his, um, in his rebellion, he comes to his senses and he thinks, oh, I've got to go back to my father. I've got to go back. And when he goes back to his father, his father is not angry with him, but rather embraces him, runs towards him, hugs and kisses him. And then what does he do? He puts on the robe onto the son. And this represents the righteousness that, that you, not because to the son, not because you've done something great by coming back, but because of the love and grace I have for you, I am putting my robes on you to show that you are my son. And this is the picture of the high priest. This is what he does for you. This is what Jesus does for you. He puts his robes on you. Before you've done anything great for him, he puts his robes of righteousness on you. And not only that, but then he invites you in to the priesthood, to be a part of this royal priesthood. In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So now you and I get to join in the priestly duties of standing in the gap for others, of being an image of God to others, of representing God to other people, showing people God's amazing love, amazing beauty. Right back in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image to reflect his goodness and his glory. And this is what the priestly garments are intended to do, to restore the image of God so that we might show people how good and beautiful and honorable God is. You might represent God to others. And so you might be God, you might be people's advocate before God, that you might pray for others. You might lift them up and advocate for them to intercede for those around you. And so back to the wise men when 
they gave these gifts of frankincense, it would have invoked all these sort of images for people that understood all this. And right at the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus, I noticed Claire said, when Jesus was old, he was 33, I don't know if that's old. Anyway, when Jesus was not a baby, when he was a little bit older, um, the high priest at the time, in Matthew 26, he's brought before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest at the time demands all these answers. You can read this in, in Matthew 26. How can this be, and who are you? Who do you say you are? You see, like King Herod, the, the high priest, who, the king, king Herod at the time, he couldn't dethrone himself. He couldn't stand the idea that there could be another king of the Jews. And so he set out to have Jesus killed. He set out to have, and you can read that in, in Luke 2, um, he had all the, the young boys killed at the time of Jesus' birth because he wanted to be king. At the same time, the high priest couldn't deal with someone taking his place. So he would have Jesus crucified. And so the challenge from last week is that we need to dethrone ourselves as king of our own life, as ruler of our own life, and allow him to be king. And the challenge for this week is that we need to take off our own righteousness, our own sense of I've got to be a good enough person. That Somehow that you would measure up to the holiness of God, you will never, and you could never. We all fall short. We all fall short. But allow Jesus to stand in the gap for your life and not to rely on yourself to live a good enough life. We are always tempted to rule ourselves as king. And we're always tempted to trust ourselves. But these gifts remind us that you can't rule yourself and you can't save yourself. You need someone else. You need a priest. You need the greatest high priest. The frankincense, uh, some of the benefits that I didn't mention, are to know, they are known to calm and comfort those who are feeling anxious, stressed, or nervous. And isn't this what happens when we have the weight of our own salvation on our shoulders? When we are trying to measure up, it only results in anxiety, stress, and nervousness because we never know if we have. How do we know if we've lived a good enough life? How do we know if we've done, gone to church enough or read our Bible enough or prayed enough or given enough or served enough? We never know. But the gift of the high priest is that you don't have to because he did. He took your place. He measures up for you and he takes away the anxiety of your own shortcomings and takes your place. Another benefit is this oil is known to alleviate, alleviate blemishes, wrinkles, stretch marks, scars, and minor wounds. This oil takes away blemishes, reminding us that Jesus, our high priest, takes away the blemish of sin. Just like the high priest would stand and take the goat and offer it as a sacrifice, taking the place of your punishment, of the people's punishment, Jesus takes all the punishment for your sin. I want to read this one last scripture as the team comes back up as we sing. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, this baby in a manger, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good 
for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For that, for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I don't know where you find yourself this Christmas, but what I encourage you and challenge you with is to trust in this Jesus who takes away your sins, who stands in the gap for your life. When you see Jesus and when you understand him for what he really is and who he really is, you can't have a casual approach to him. It doesn't allow you to. You understand that it's if he's taken the sin, if he's stood in the gap for you, and we'll look at this more tomorrow, it demands everything. It demands everything that you would dethrone yourself and that you would allow him to stand in the gap for your sins. And I want to remind you this morning that he loves you, not because you've done something great, not because you've measured up to a certain standard of living or love or service, but simply because he loves you. And that's it. He takes away your sins. He offers his son as the sacrifice to stand in the gap for you as a demonstration of his ultimate love for you. Can we stand together and pray? Lord Jesus, we are so in awe of who you are that you would come as a baby, humble, the lowest of lows, to demonstrate the, the love that you have for us. And God, we thank you that you stand in the gap for our lives, for our shortcomings. You are the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And God, this morning I pray for those that maybe have never put their trust in you to stand in the gap like this before. God, that your Holy Spirit might allow them to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus and be able to trust him with their lives. Lord, this Christmas we want to know you in all your goodness, in all your glory in all your beauty and respond accordingly. Would you help us to do that, God? Thank you that you are here with us. You can identify with our weaknesses and our troubles, our joys. God, I pray that you would help us to know who Jesus is, our high priest. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.